Hi, this is Jody Emery from Frankfort, Indiana, and you're listening to the Grace Story Podcast. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this episode, this one on cognitive behavioral therapy. We're going to break it down, find out what it's all about. Is it actually something that's in a biblical worldview? Is it something Christians can do? Um, What is it all about and and who can do it? Um, Before we talk about our guest, I do want to talk about Grace Story Conference because we just got through an amazing few days of uh, great counselors talking, um, great storytellers sharing. Um, It it was just something that if if you were there, you understand what other people missed. So with that, we don't want you to miss out next year. We already have the dates for that. Conference next year is the first week of November. That's November 4 and 5 of 2022 at the SNC Life Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. There's a tongue twister for you. Uh, But for that, if if you were to go over to greatstoryministries.com and click on register right now, we have a promo code for you. It's going to be an early bird registration. It'll be the most you can save on this ticket price all year long. If you simply type in early bird 100, it'll save you $100 off the admission to Grace Story Conference. This is two days of, of, content that is, you know, you, you may pay hundreds of dollars an hour to get with a counselor for uh, even an hour uh, or two. But with this, you get uh, over 23 hours of content, uh, storytellers, people sharing uh, tools for your toolkit on how to do life and do it better to live that more abundant life uh, that Jesus was talking about. And a whole bunch of people, a great story community uh, to do that with. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Now, to add to that, everyone that signs up or, or completes their registration for conference before Black Friday of this year, 2021, they're going to be entered into a, a, a drawing for one of the exclusive Grace Story hoodies. If you want to see more about that, head on over to our Instagram pages, um, either my Grace Story, that's Amber, or the podcast, Grace Story Podcast Instagram page, or you can go to the Grace Story Ministries main Instagram page. There's pictures of the hoodies. Uh, so not only will you save $100 by using Early Bird 100 and going ahead and getting that squared away for next year. You can make your plans and then be entered in to win one of those exclusive hoodies and maybe even wear it to conference. Uh, so make sure you go over there and get that squared away. Uh, now, about our guest today, it's Seth Scott. Dr. Scott, he's a professor of counseling at Columbia International University. He's been there since 2019. He teaches primarily in the clinical counseling program in areas of research uh, and practice. He's an active member and participant in the Christian Association of Psychological Studies, uh, the American Association of Christian Counselors, and the American Counseling Association. He also has a private practice, Sunrise Counseling, for both clinical work and supervision in the community. Before joining Columbia International University, he was a professor of counseling psychology at Emmaus Bible College in Iowa, 
Uh, that happened from 2012 to 2019. Uh, he has his PhD in counselor education and supervision from Walden University, a master's in community counseling from Regent University, and a BS in biblical studies and intercultural studies uh, from Emmaus Bible College. Uh, he has several publications, several awards and honors that, that he has uh, accumulated over the years. We're very happy to have him on board to kind of break down this, this CBT or uh, cognitive behavioral therapy for us and bring it down to that one-on-one level that we here in the Great Story community need. Uh, I know you're going to love what he has to say. So let's go to that conversation we had with Seth right now. Seth Scott, I, I almost wanted to call you doctor, but you said Seth is okay, so I'll go with Seth. Uh, glad to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. Now, we just got through conference. I was telling you a little bit about it in the pre-show, and uh, a lot of hurting people, a lot of people in need of healing, and then we jump right into an episode on CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, and I just want to start off giving you the opportunity to maybe say, uh, uh, build that connection of why CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy is so important today. Yeah. So C- CBT is, is one method of doing therapy. Um, and it's one that's going to come up quite a bit as you deal with issues like anxiety, depression, trauma, because it's measurable and it has a lot of evidence-based research behind it. And so co- basically cognitive behavioral therapy as, as the words describe is cognition, how we think, um, and how, how we think informs how we feel and then how we behave. And so the traditional um, symbol or, or illustration of cognitive behavioral is this, is this triangle and says that we have the cognitive behavioral triangle and, and how we think informs how we feel, which then informs how we behave and how we feel then changes how we think, which then informs how we behave. And so the, the treatment approach is looking at changing and addressing some of those thoughts, um, irrational thoughts, um, assumptions, trained ways of thinking about others and about ourselves, and being able to make adjustments so that we can change how we behave um, and not allow how we feel to drive our behavior, but allow our thinking to drive our behavior. Well, and, and before we go much further, you're, you're working at a Christian college and uh, I want to make the distinction because I think sometimes when we start to get into the vernacular of mental health, it can sometimes sound unbiblical, like sterile in a way like, no, yep. this is not of God. Can you frame for me how CBT first, is it biblical? Does it fit within a biblical worldview? And then how? Yeah, yes, I, I would argue that it does. Um, God designed us to be. Um, body, soul, spirit. We, we are one. We are completely integrated. And in the Old Testament, we see the word shalom, which is this idea of completeness and, and wholeness. And so the goal is, in since the fall, is to be able to return to a state of shalom. Um, the fall has impacted our our thinking and our relationships, right? We, before, before the fall, we had perfect relationship with God, with ourselves, with one another, and with creation. And with the fall, um, all, all of those relationships are disrupted. And so um, our thinking about ourselves where we were naked and unashamed, now we're hiding and fearful and um, and our relationships with God is impaired. We're hiding from God. We're, we're afraid of one another. We're ashamed of one another. And so um, scripture then addresses throughout the arc of scripture, um, but especially in the epistles in the New Testament, is this recognition that um, how we think about ourselves, how we think about God, 
uh, and how we think about one another informs how we feel and then how we behave. And so, like Paul says, things like, you know, stop, stop doing these things, put off lying, put off all of these behaviors and, and put on um, the fruit of the spirit. Um, stop quarreling with one another in Philippians. Um, stop fighting and instead think on things that are that are good. And so it's choosing to, to put off, to stop thinking about things, which we talk about quite a bit, but it's, it's actually insufficient. It's, it's not enough to just not think about something or not behave in a certain way. We actually need to, to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us um, through focusing on, on what is right and what is true. Well, I, one thing that, that I've loved going through nursing school myself, and I'm sure you've had the same experience, having the science correlate with scripture. Um, it's like, you know, God of what he brings together. And he already knew because uh, he created us. Um, so with, with CBT, um, is there like a certain demographic this works best with, or is it something for everybody? Or is it just, you know, training up a child in the way they should go? Who, who is it best suited for, for this type of therapy? Yes, that's a great question. So, um, some of the, when we add cognitive before it, um, there is the assumption that we're able to do what's called metacognition. We're able to think about our thinking. And so if you can't think about your thinking, if you're not aware of how your thinking is informing your feeling and behavior, it's a little bit harder to do this type of work. And so based on that, it's, it's sweet spot is like 12, 13 and older. Um, but there has been adaptation of CBT for working with children, which is a little bit more focused on the behavioral piece. And so most parent training, uh, parent models are kind of just strict behavior training is positive reinforcement, negative uh, reinforcement trying to to train children as you noted in the way that they should go so understanding the needs of the child maybe even before they they do so recognizing that that a, a young child of a four or five six year old probably isn't aware of how their hunger is influencing their feelings which influences their behavior um, and so a parent is intervening on their behalf to say look you, you know you're you're hungry, you're hangry, right? Um, and so we need to give you crackers so that your behavior isn't bad instead of just trying to change the behavior. Uh, and so CBT addresses those kind of things. CBT has been applied to uh, depression, anxiety, trauma, addiction, um, the, the kind of gamut of, of classic diagnoses um, because it is able to be studied. So it's not that it's the only method to work. It's it's just easier to study than others because it can be delivered through a manualized model. So we can do the classic experiment of applying this approach versus applying either a control group without the approach. And so uh, when we look at what seems to be the gold standard for most treatment modalities, CBT will be at the top um, because something like psychoanalytic um, is a little bit harder to study because it's so case study based. It's individual based. Whereas CBT, we can deliver a manualized model to say, all right, we're saying these things, we're doing these things repeatedly as in a clinical intervention. And so we're able to demonstrate evidence and practice based. Um, so it's not the only one, but it works across the lifespan. And it's highly effective at addressing those issues of thinking and feeling and behaving. Yeah, when you talk about metacognition, that's that's not something I'm I'm necessarily going to be uh, putting on my five year old. Um, <laughs> I don't know that she even knows that she's thinking at this point. So that makes a lot of sense. And what I'm hearing you say 
is that CBT, um, it's, it's a very effective tool, but it's one of many tools. It's just the one that we know the most about because it can be measured. Um, so we know it's very effective. Um, with, with that, let's break it down further because you've given kind of an overview. But if I'm walking in as an individual who's, I don't know, even if I've been through trauma or I have no clue, I'm just walking in. Um, what, what can I expect? How does CBT work? Yeah, so with trauma, um, CBT has a, a form called trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy or TFCBT. And in that, we actually expand our diamond of thinking, feeling, um, doing to a, a diamond. And so the diamond actually includes body sensations because what we're finding in trauma is that we can't change our, our thinking um, or our feelings because our body has already responded. Our body has already reacted to a situation and produced a physiological response in our central nervous system before we're even cognitively aware that that's happening. And so a lot of the trauma work that, that we do is trying to first calm the, the body um, to shift from a sympathetic nervous system response into a sympathetic or into a parasympathetic nervous system response so that we can actually engage the frontal lobe because the cognitive work has to occur in, in your frontal lobe in your prefrontal cortex. And when you are constantly perceiving um, a threat, that prefrontal cortex is offline. You're in fight flight response all the time. And so a lot of trauma work in the past 10 years, one of the um, updates to it from neuroscience is recognizing that we need to address body first. So when you come into a counseling office, a lot of the initial work will actually be calming, uh, being able to learn skills and practice for, for body relaxation um, and interruption of that physiological response so that when we talk about things that are going to cause your body to then go back into trigger, we can pull you back down from that. You're talking about things like grounding technique or visualizations, I'm assuming? Yeah, grounding technique, visualizations, uh, full body relaxation, pelvic floor relaxation, um, using um, like a, a focal point shift, which causes your body to shift in your sympathetic nervous system from sympathetic to parasympathetic response. Is that like the EMDR that, that some have talked about? It's a, it's a part of that. So EMDR is, is doing something a little bit different, um, but it's engaging the, the, neuro, the neurological connections in our brain. So what, what happens in trauma is that parts of our brain, like our amygdala or hippocampus, are responsible for, for memory. And part of our brain is re responsible for memory in chronological order, and part of our brain is responsible for memory in like sensational experience, so our, our senses. Um, and in trauma, those things are, are not connected. They're disconnected, which is why a trauma experience feels like it's always present because it's not existing in the, in the chronological system. So part of trauma treatment is helping people sit those memories into its appropriate chronological system. And what seems to be happening in EMDR, that they're not exactly sure what, it, what it's actually doing, but through bilateral stimulation, the, either using buzzers for each hand or using lights or using tapping, um, it's engaging connections, synapse connections between the hemispheres of your brain to allow some of those memories to seat appropriately in the past. And so there's still memories but now they're memories in the past instead of being perpetually present memories. Um, and it allows you to then connect all of those fragmented sensations of what you felt uh, emotionally, what you smelled, what you saw, um, all of those sensations being scattered to now hoping to place them together and seat them appropriately in the past. 
it's similar to what happens in re in REM sleep. Um, they they assume for EMDR. This is it's fascinating stuff, but I think I think this is where we lose some people in our Christian circles because it starts to sound a bit like Eastern uh, meditation or something like that. And they're probably considering that our brains uh, across um, the 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 world are very similar, obviously, or uh, they're the same. These things might cross over, but uh, thinking about this, as people maybe reject it. Um, can you, and this may be putting you on the spot, but are there some biblical examples of this type of practice by people that we, we know in the Bible to, to calm themselves down? Yeah. So, I mean, Jesus frequently addressed, um, physical need to be able to highlight spiritual issues. And so like the, the man, the paralyzed man who was lowered down by his friends, um, into the house and, and Jesus first said, you know, your sins are forgiven. And, um, you know, the Pharisees around him were, <laughs> were aghast that, that he would, he would um, even consider himself able to do that. And so he says, in order to demonstrate that I have the capacity to forgive sins, I, I'm going to physically heal him as well, which shows that, and, and throughout most of the physical healings, it shows that, that we are not spiritual and physical. God made us spiritual physical. It, it's one, it's one thing we're, we're integrated. Um, and that's the concept of Shalom. And so one of the errors that we have, I think, um, within a, a Christian context today, especially on understanding things of medicine or, or counseling is that we are practical Gnosticists. Um, we we function as if our bodies and the needs of our bodies are distinct or separate from the needs of our spirit and our soul. And, um, I would say that, that it's not surprising that when we don't get sufficient sleep and we don't eat healthy, that we have a hard time maintaining spiritual disciplines. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. Because being disciplined is holistic so that when we're physically disciplined, we're able to, to focus better and resist temptation more, more effectively. And we engage in our relationships better. Our emotions are more under control because, because we're holistic. And so part of that is I think we see throughout scripture, Christ addressing both physical and social, like the, the woman with the issue of blood, he healed her, but that was predominantly a, a social healing for her. She was an outcast. Mm-hmm. Same with, with lepers. It's a, while it provides physical healing, he provided a, a social emotional healing to them that, that was critical for their ability to function in society. And so I think we see that in the brain too. I like that you brought up, up Christ because, you know, he's the ultimate healer, of course, but but with CBT, this is a human form of therapy because we're not mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, right. And with that, there's got to be limitations. So I want to ask you that question with CBT because it's starting to sound like a miracle therapy that can just boom, connect right. everything. There's the right. restoration. My journey's done. I did it because yep. I went to a CBT therapist. Glad I found him. Right. So good. But there's got to be limitations because we are humans. So uh, what type of limitations uh, are there with CBT therapy and what what should my expectations be going in to this type of therapy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, the limitations are that the the cause of some of the problems for which we would seek CBT, um, like anxiety or depression, are multifaceted issues. And so um, anxiety can have physical, uh, organic complications, as as can depression. So you can have um, organic issues of insufficient ser- uh, serotonin or dopamine, um, low GABA functioning in your gut to produce anxiety, trouble sleeping. And so just changing how you think 
think about things doesn't necessarily change your body response to all of those things. The other complication for Christians is that suffering is a part of how God um, conforms us to Christ. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be careful in in how we address this and that God doesn't use suffering. Uh, God doesn't, doesn't cause suffering to, to make us more like Christ, but sometimes God will use the suffering that we experience either because of a consequence for our sin, for other sin, for sin in the world um, to help us to learn dependency on him. Uh, And so we have to be careful not to just assume like, Oh, well you're dealing with that. So it's, you know, God is blessing you with suffering. No, that's not necessarily how, you know, that's not an accurate theology. Um, But functionally that just because someone is suffering coming to counseling uh, may provide perspective, but it may not provide necessarily the alleviation of all of the suffering that they're experiencing. And that's some of the difference that a Christian counselor would address from a secular counselor. Um, a Christian counselor, it should be kind of sitting more with an understanding of um, who are you in, in your dependency and relationship to God in this situation, as opposed to let's just make you feel good right away as quickly as possible. Um, because and just trying to make you feel good, you know, whatever those underlying spiritual, emotional, cognitive issues might be, they might continue to come back if we don't learn from the situation God has put us in. I love that. And that's a concentration, not just on symptoms, but on the root causes and getting to the bottom of it and living that life of abundance that God promises, you know, not just getting through life, but living life abundantly. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back because you, you made mention of, um, first working on body regulation before trying to change thoughts. Um, and, and why, I, I want to ask you the question, why is it important to do that when going through discussion or narrative trauma? And maybe even define what discussion or narrative trauma are for the listeners. Yeah, so one of the things that's changed changed in the field of trauma in the past few years is um, the field of trauma historically in the past, since the 80s, was, all right, if we can just talk through it, um, the more we talk about it, the the less power that trauma will have on us. And so we have to kind of normalize it. You know, the boogeyman in the closet, if we can just open that closet and shine the light in, then he won't scare us anymore. Yeah. Um, the catch for that is it's traumatizing in the process for both the client and the counselor. And so mm-hmm. counselors doing trauma work listen to a lot of stuff um, and have to carry a lot of that stuff. In the past couple of years, mainly through the contribution of EMDR, um, We've recognized that that people's processing, it's part of the resilience research, but people's processing of their trauma um, cognitively and then learning their capacity to, to edge out of panic um, and feel that they can, they can actually control the situation resolves a lot of it. So, so trauma basically is that, that we are disconnected. Um, we are fragmented in ourselves, in our brain, in our experience. Um, and so part of the goal is reintegration, is is connection with others and with ourselves. And so um, if if we are experiencing symptoms that cause us to feel out of control in our environment, um, then we, we panic. We go into flooded, you know, flight, fight, flight mode. But if we, when we experience those symptoms, we can control and pull down and regulate, then even the experience of those symptoms no longer is is terrifying. It's similar to you know, two people on a roller coaster will experience the same physiological symptoms. For one person, yeah. it'll be terrifying. For another person, it'll be exciting. Our bodies are producing the same symptoms. It's how we're interpreting those symptoms and whether we feel we have control over them or not. Um, so part of what we're teaching 
clients is saying, you know, we, we can't necessarily guarantee that you're not going to experience anything that will cause you to feel out of control again, but we can train you how to feel regulated in your body um, to be able to pull yourself away from panic in the future. Honestly, that's one of the best uh, analogies I've heard for because um, Ryan, our counselor that we have, uh, he's our content strategy director. He'll talk about it. It is what you experience. Little T trauma, big T trauma. Um, it is what you experience is the meaning you bring from that, not the actual event. Yep. Um, and someone who loves roller coasters myself, I, I love them. Um, and, and I'll ride the tallest one. I'll regret my, my decision all the way to the top. But when we're on the way down, I love it. Yep. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, he would take us to Kings Island when we were kids, but uh, he would also be the guy that would sit there and read the newspaper while we were in the three hour line. And we went through and he'd wave to us <laughs> as we were going up and be like, you guys are stupid. Yep. Um, yeah, he, he wasn't going to put himself through that. That is one of the best uh, explanations I have heard for that. I love yeah, it. And that's where like um, the CBT family. So CBT is one approach, but there's like a family basically of BTs, right? So you have REBT, rational emotive behavioral therapy and ACT, um, acceptance commitment therapy. And that's addressing some of these other pieces. So like REBT would say that it's not just our thinking that matters. It's actually our, our beliefs, our inferences um, that we attribute to the situation. So we'd say like, all right, the going on a roller coaster makes me feel this way. It's like, no, actually it, it doesn't. Um, going on a roller coaster, A, an activating event produces a filters through a belief that we have either of this is going to be fun or this is going to be terrifying, which then produces an emotional response, a consequence. And so part of the change for REBT is saying, look, our thinking is already running. We need to identify what those beliefs are um, and we can change those irrational beliefs. And then acceptance commitment therapy um, says that there's going to be some things that we can't control. And so how do we, how do we just accept what we can't control and be okay with that? And I think that's like, that's Romans six to say, you know, we groan with creation for the redemption of our bodies and saying, Lord, you know, we, we exist in a world of sin. Um, I, I don't like aging, right? Uh, age stuff hurts. Um, I used to play all kinds of sports and I'd get injured from sports. Now I get injured sleeping wrong. <laughs> it's like, you know, you're aging, you're getting old when like you wake up and something hurts because you slept wrong on your pillow. Um, and so we groan. I mean, we groan for redemption of, of this world. Well, first of all, I, I, I know we're trying to squash down a master's level concept in like, you know, 45 minutes or less. <laughs> but hearing you say that there's more because, I mean, honestly, CBT is enough to try to tackle. If there's more really is, rabbits yeah. and ribbits and abbots and ACT, all these things, <laughs> you know, to help me just explain why my mom tried to reframe housework as fun, you know, if the experience is different because now it's five minutes to pick it up. It's a game or, you know, right. just why I may just like all is lost and, you know, woe is me. Uh, I mean, there's so many, we may have to have you back just to do another, <laughs> we'll yeah. just call it the initials uh, um, uh, series or something. I don't there know. But I, hearing you talk about us old people, cause I'm 34 now and, and my, my five-year-old says I'm ancient cause I have two numbers in my age. We'll talk to her when she's 10, but yeah. hearing you talk about that, let's focus on our, our younger clientele because you're saying this can work as young as 12. And we do have listeners in that demographic between, mm -hmm. you know, 12 and, and, and 20 for them. How is a way and, and we may get off the rails here just a tad and come back. But what is a way if I feel like, hey, this is something that I'm listening to them and I'm like, I feel fragmented. 
when they say that. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. What is a way that I can go to my parents and say, hey, this is something that is is biblical that I heard from Grace Story Ministries from Grace Story Podcast, and I want to try it. What What is the best way to go to your parent without, you know, freaking them out and having them think you're wanting to go learn how to do Eastern medicine and meditate and get a, you know, some tattoo and <laughs> go off the rails <laughs> yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's being able to identify, um, I want to be able to identify what, um, interferences are disrupting, um, how I think about myself and how I think about the world. What, what lenses am I using? What am I, am I looking through that are distorting my perception of myself, of others and of God? Um, how can I make my implicit and unconscious assumptions more explicit and more conscious? I mean, one of the goals of therapy that I, I predominantly do is helping people identify what their values actually are um, and then working to evaluate whether how you are living is in align with what you actually value. Mm. Um, and so making those things that are implicit, explicit. So you say, um, you know, I, I want to love people better. But then when I look around, um, I'm constantly irritated by people. Yeah. I was like, all right, well, you know, what what lens are you using to, to view people and view yourselves? And especially for, you know, 12 to 20 year olds, um, one of the major tasks is identity is figuring out who am I um, and who am I in relation to others. And, and often in that stage, you have multiple selves, Chap Clark says, right? We have multiple selves. And so, especially now with social media, we have, you know, our cultivated self um, on, on social media. And then we have all our different types of relationships. And so when we were growing up, you know, you did, you had your church self, your school self, your home self. Sure. Now they have this online self. Um, that's even more cultivated and they feel fragmented because of that. And probably differences between the different social media platforms as well. Right. Right. What you do on Instagram is not what you do on Snapchat, TikTok. Right. Yeah. Grandma might be on Facebook. And so you have to, (laughs) you know, present yourself differently. Um, so it is, it's trying to gain insight to say, um, how are other people viewing me? How do I view the world and what's the disconnect between those things? And so CBT will address a lot of those different components of, um, how do I think about myself? How do I think about the world? Um, how does that inform how I feel? Uh, and then how do I use that to behave in alignment with what I say I value um, as well as how I think and how I feel? Well, and there's probably another dimension to the kids, too, um, because you're somewhat practicing out of another's set of values as well because you're living mm-hmm. under someone else's roof. So what right. you value may not align with what they value. And, or you haven't that taken that on as your own values yet. You're still learning. Right. Um, so we we wonder why teens and young adults have so many quote unquote issues. Well, I mean, they're they're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, goodness, I'm still figuring it out. Uh, and our goal as parents is to help. We have to be able to do this ourselves. We have to be able to kind of lift the curtain and say, these are the values that are directing our thinking and feeling and behaving. Um, and so you might not agree with, this end result, but we want you to agree with this core value. What is sure. this core value we hold? And so, yeah, our kids need to adopt those core values for themselves and what it, the symptoms of that might look different than it does for us. But we want them to to hold to a, a consistent core of, of we are loved by God uh, as fallen sinners and redeemed for his purpose. I and mean, that that's our, that's our core. 
And that's got to be difficult for, for us. Not got I know it is difficult because if there's something we value in our life, whether that's uh, church values, traditional values, political, whatever it is mm-hmm. that we've, we've, you know, are our priorities. And we try to let our kids know the cool thing about kids is they're <laughs> wired to ask questions. Yeah. And adults are just wired to now we do it because. So why are you asking these questions? Just do it and you'll be fine. Um, (laughs) that's where it seems like there's a lot of disconnect from, from the generations of why not? We can, we just sit down and have a conversation. If you don't know as an adult, just say, you don't know. Um, and then maybe we can find the answer together and we, we may hit on something else that neither one of us knew all, all together. Um, with, with that of, of learning and growing, um, as an adult shifting to that mindset, how might I know that CBT is right for me as an adult? I think it's it's being able to say, am I having um, times where I'm acting or reacting outside of um, how I feel my real self would be? Um, are there expressions of myself in my behavior uh, or in my thinking that that doesn't seem consistent, that doesn't align with what my values are? And so um, I want to be able to kind of walk through and make explicit what some of those implicit pieces are. How can I kind of break apart those, those elements and say um, what aspects of how I think about things is influencing how I feel or what aspects of how I feel about things um, is influencing how I think so that my thinking, feeling and behaving can be consistent, can be aligned with um, walking in the spirit, walking in the light, um, the, the output of those behaviors that we want. Those are based in a, in a character formation, we look back at, at uh, Augustine, Aquinas, and then even someone like James K. Smith and says that, uh, quoting Luther, is that we we are what we love because we, mm-hmm. we chase after what we desire. And so yeah. um, our goal as Christians isn't just to behave a certain way, it's to love a certain way um, and love those things that will then direct our behavior. And so CBT actually um, will help kind of evaluate what are those, what's the end result that we're shooting for? And then what are some of the, the steps up to that that are forming our desires that aren't in line with what our values are? Man, that, that's so true. And, and well, you talk about the, uh, the feelings and the emotions involved with this. And this is just a complete sidebar. CBT, every time we say it, I, I almost mess up and say CBD, um, <laughs> which, you know, can alter your, your, your right. feelings, your emotions. So I, I want to ask you this, cause it reminded me with, with someone who is not necessarily on CBD, but some other medication, cause uh, that's needed sometimes, uh, mm-hmm. talking about the whole self. Um, is this something if I'm listening to you and I'm like, yeah, that would be great, except that I'm already on something to help me balance my serotonin levels or, or whatever it may be. Is CBT something, uh, that, that works differently with a client on medication? Can it, uh, can I go if I'm on medication? How does that work when, um, moving a, a pill or something into the mm-hmm. equation? Yeah, so all of the research demonstrates that. CBT and medication, if you're on medication, is more effective. And so depending really? on, yeah, so because you're learning the skills, um, you're, you're learning how to adjust how you're thinking. You're not just um, uh, squashing it or, or suppressing it. 
And so some of it depends on, on whether it's like anxiety or depression. And so like with depression, sometimes you're going to need medications to even be able to, you know, get the gears running to be able to think about things. Um, but you need the skills to be able to, to put into action what has been effective with the medication. With anxiety, um, again, at the far end, if you, know, if you can't function at all, you're going to need something. But the research actually says that the goal for anxiety is to begin to implement skills and then replace the medication with the skills because anxiety is anxiety will fill the space you give it. Mm, um, I like so if you're feeling anxious and you, you avoid, um, you're going to, your anxiety is going to get a little bit bigger. Um, and so then you avoid more and then it gets a little bigger, which, which, you know, with this pandemic is one of the biggest concerns is that, um, the more, the more you are afraid, the more things that make you anxious, um, the further back you'll go away from those things. So more things are going to make you anxious. And so while there's a place for anxiety medication to kind of pull you off the edge so that you're able to interact with life, um, a lot of the goal is to just learn the skills to be able to overcome some of those physical sensations, the, some of the body stuff, so that you're interpreting it differently. And then you're learning the patterns and habits of behavior that will allow you to engage with life more effectively. So let's, and you may have just given me my quote for this episode, anxiety will fill the space that you give it. I love that. Mm -hmm. But let, let's, let's put a word picture or, or a scenario in place so that people can kind of uh, see how this may work in actuality. What is a life skill or, or a skill that I would gain from CBT uh, if I'm working out of that early childhood trauma or wounding, what's something I might learn that would then be effective and how would I have learned that uh, in, in mm -hmm. a cognitive behavioral therapy session? Yeah, so I can give you an example from a client I worked with Perfect. that, that shouldn't, be, shouldn't be too triggering for people, but I worked with a, um, a young client who was about 11 years old mm. and uh, he, he had uh, uh, thrown up in his classroom, right? At uh, uh, elementary school, one day he just wasn't feeling well and he just like threw up in the middle of the classroom. And it created this, this extreme fear for him moving forward that he was going to throw up. So anytime he felt at all nervous or anxious, um, he would panic and wouldn't want to go back to school, major school refusal. Uh, and it was tied to this sensation of, of feeling out of control and then being embarrassed, um, shame. And so we kind of walked backwards. We used what's called exposure response prevention, which is um, a um, a technique within CBT to walk backwards from that fear of, of vomit. So we created what's called a fear ladder and we said, all right, well, if number, if 10, the biggest fear you have is, is throwing up in public, um, throwing up in front of your classmates, you know, what's a nine, what's an eight, what's a seven, we worked backwards. And so, um, you know, we started by um, just talking about it, talking about like, all right, if you're going to throw up, what, what does that look like? Um, and then you start to feel agitated, say like, all right, on a scale of one to 10, how do you feel right now? I feel like an eight or a nine. All right, let's breathe and regulate your body through this, the physical sensation you're experiencing. We're going to calm that sensation. Um, and then as you work up the ladder, you work down that anxiety response so that we got to the point where we, we looked at pictures of vomit. Um, <laughs> we had rubber vomit. We would hold rubber vomit. Um, so number 10, I didn't want him throwing up in my office and I'm... <laughs> I'm a sympathetic vomiter too, right? So if someone starts throwing up, I'll throw up. Um, and so we we made this mixture of oatmeal and orange juice, oh. right? So it's like the texture yeah. as well as the acidity, right? And so we both would sit there and we'd hold this mixture in our mouths um, and be able to deal with the the escalating 
um, anxiety, physical anxiety response and be able to regulate it down. Right. And so that's, that's an application of CBT to say, um, I feel a certain way and what I'm, how I'm thinking about this thing is producing feelings, which makes me behave in a certain way. And so we want to work backwards from that to be able to calm our physiological response and change our irrational thoughts, interrupt that response so that then we can interact with people and, and know that like, yeah, throwing up in, fr- in public isn't great, um, but it's not the end of the world, right? We'll, we'll be able to continue to function. That's, that's another great example though of like something you might hear somebody say something damaging to that kid is like, just get over it. My goodness, just right. just go to class. But it's something right. in him, the meaning he's attached to that is now interfering with his life and for him, his work, which is go mm-hmm. to school, learn, learn how to socialize. Um, And for young kids, anxiety um, is one of the struggles with any young kids. You said you have a five-year-old, right? When they have a a stomach ache, Mm. right? They don't have the language um, or the, what's called interoception. They don't have the the capacity to interpret physiological sensations. So we don't know when a young kid has a stomach ache, are you hungry? Did you get hit in the stomach? Are you constipated? Did you eat something bad? Do you have to go to the bat? Like, yeah. they don't have the discernment across those things. And that, that's true for anxiety too. And as a culture, we're not learning the language of discernment across emotions. And so we are grouping all emotions together. And so we have physiological sensations um, that are produced from fear, excitement, anxiety, sadness, um, and our only expressive outlet for that is either sadness or anxiety. And so if the expression of it or the interpretation of it isn't accurate, we can't resolve it um, because we're treating the wrong symptom, right? We, we aren't able to articulate. So part of the counseling goal actually in CBT too is helping people improve their insight on what they're actually experiencing, improve their language for physiological interpretation. So I feel this way, this means this. Um, and then improve their ability to communicate accurately the connection of what that sensation is with the emotion word that that aligns with it. That's a lot of work that I do with children, it's, and with and with you know adults, adolescents. Say, um, I'm I'm anxious. Well, all right. Well, why why are you anxious? Well, when I go back to school, I I feel upset in my stomach. All right. Well, let's explore that. And listening to you, so I kind of get lost sometimes in podcast episodes and I just start listening. Um, But it makes me very much aware. My wife is a school counselor at a Christian academy here in in southern Indiana. She has 920 kids. And I'm like, listening to you talk about that, I'm like, why don't they put, uh, you know, five, ten counselors on staff and just like, because it doesn't sound like me, me as a parent, I can listen to my five year old. Um, talk, but it sounds like I have just as much of, uh, learning to do on interpreting what's going on with her as I do myself. Right. And that sounds daunting. And it also sounds like I might mess some things up as best as I try when parenting her. And, and I, I don't know if I'll be okay with that yet, but maybe we can have a conversation later. Um, But (laughs) speaking of that aspect, you, you touched on it, you as a counselor, and I want to ask you this personally you carry some of the baggage that you hear from, from these clients. What are some ways that you, that, that Seth does self care and doesn't take on too much or, or balances that, that walk with a client, which has got to be very intimate at times. Yep. Yeah. So I'm actually in the past couple of years, I've changed my language from uh, self care and coping skills, which are, are common language that's used. Um, from that to 
uh, rhythms and habits. Ooh, so like one, one of the things that, that happens with coping skills is we associate coping skills with what we're trying to cope with. And so we don't practice them regularly because we associate them with negative things. And coping skills are only effective if we if they're habitual. Um, so in order to, to relax when we're feeling overwhelmed, it has to be a habit that we do automatically. Um, same with, with self-care, right? We view self-care, it's kind of like when you go for a run, you're gonna push yourself beyond the need for water. Uh, you're gonna get dehydrated and then you hydrate. Um, if we just view self-care as something we do out there, instead of part of the regular rhythm and habits of life, um, we will go empty and then fill back up and go empty and fill back up. And at some point, spiritually, we're no longer giving out of the overflow that the spirit gives to us. Yeah. We're, we're pouring from our own container, which then you have danger with burnout. You have danger with ethical issues. And so, so for me, um, I've had to implement and be careful in making sure I do habits and rhythms. And so I, I have regular habits daily, um, attempt, it's not perfect, right? Attempt to exercise, um, regularly, uh, get sufficient sleep. I need anywhere from eight to nine hours of sleep a night. So I make sure I get enough sleep, make sure that I'm connecting and engaging with others in relationship with my wife, with my kids, with other, um, small groups, with men's groups to, to have uh, a broad support base, uh, make sure I'm eating healthy, um, to make sure that, that I'm, you know, not pursuing dependency on technology, on, um, you know, stopping the scroll, those kind of things. Um, and so it's maintaining um, a balance across life instead of getting to the point where I'm imbalanced. Um, and so I, I do a lot of those things, spending time in the word, regularly praying, reading, staying up in my field um, and engaging with others in relationship. Man, and that's that's a <laughs> sounds like a full time job on top of a full time job on top of it family. Is, yeah. Um, yep. And we're only human. I can imagine there are, are moments where those rhythms are broken. Life happens, right, right. but I mean that's why God gave us rhythms. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. the days, the 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 seasons. Um, you know, even the way the universe itself revolves uh, is all right. in rhythms and patterns. Um, well, during, during these episodes, when we start drawing towards a close, I do like to give people an opportunity to speak directly to the listener. And just if there's something that you want them to take away from this or something um, that you want to say to them of, of what we talked about yeah. to leave them with um, from Seth, what would that be to the Grace Story community? Yeah, I would say that that's important to recognize that that God made us holistic body soul and spirit and he made us for a relationship and so a lot of life um, is attempting to the the fall is independence is a seeking independence and autonomy in place of dependence in relationship with god and so all of life is this continued tension between autonomy and independence and dependence on god and others and so because we're made holistic um, we're living in this constant tension. And so I would say that, that we're all going to experience days that are a struggle, um, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and that it's okay, it's normal, and that because we're made for a relationship, we need lots of people speaking into our lives around all of these issues, living in community with one another. Um, so finding that community, finding those connections, those relationships, uh, and just being being real with people, being connected to people in a way that that uh, Christ is is honored 
um, because we are his body working in dependence on each other and on him, um, as well as just being able to, to balance out some of those edges um, of struggle that, that we each have. And so some people are going to struggle more um, emotionally, some are going to struggle more physically, some are going to struggle more spiritually. And in a collection of, of the body of Christ, we can better support one another towards wholeness. I love that. And that jives with scripture of a, a chord that, that's threefold. is It's not easily broken. Yep. Um, so, Seth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, and sharing your expertise. I'd love to have you back. I don't know if you're open to that. But, yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah. I'd love to have you back and, and maybe even have you in the community to break down some of these these concepts. Um and thank you for what you do in your profession um, because yeah, it's very, very much needed. So thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you, Nate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation uh, with Seth as much as I did. Uh, I know we're going to have to have him on more, especially since he gave us some more initials for different types of things that we're going to need to break down. Um, I always love when we have a professional on and I leave with more questions. Uh, You know, you get the ones answered that you came on with uh, and then you leave with more. There's always so much to learn, always room to grow. And that's one thing I love about growth story podcast and the guests we have on high quality guests. Um, and I'm so glad we had Seth. Um, now if you could do something for me, if you just share this podcast episode, uh, or your favorite episode from Grace story podcast with three of your friends, just shoot it over to them, send a link from whatever platform you're listening on, which includes Facebook. Now you can, uh, listen directly from Facebook. Uh, you can go over there, leave comments. Uh, you can actually pull little clips from that, uh, and send them to friends through messenger, whatever it may be. Uh, if you can share that with three friends, that's the best way to spread this podcast, keep it growing and keeping on growing the Grace story community. And speaking of the Grace story community, if you haven't joined our closed Facebook group over on Facebook, uh, Great Story Community, just search for that up in the search bar and uh, you'll find a group that's over 400 strong. Um, these are men and women who are encouraging each other on their journeys of restoration. There's prayer, there's counselors in there, there are uh, book recommendations, there's all sorts of stuff uh, where we were talking in there about conference and there's uh, instructors uh, with their videos uh, and more to come this next year. So we hope that you'll jump in there. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode as always. Until then, I hope that you'll continue on your journey of restoration. Uh, There's no us without you. So we hope you'll come back in two weeks for more. You're going to love some of the guests that we have coming up. Uh, We have quite a few. I can't wait for you to hear them. So we'll see you in two weeks. Until then, we'll be praying for you.